Good morning. My name is Garner Price. I serve in the band here. Uh, my wife and I are part of a gospel community group in Oakland. Uh, I'll be reading today's scripture. If you will, please stand. I'll be reading Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the son of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you. Well, amen. Thank you, Garner. Thank you, Ben, for uh, leading us today. It's good to see all of you here today. Uh, again, I've got a chance to meet a number of people who are new to Refuge. I know uh, I've got a lot of guests, so again, thank you for being here. We know you've got lots of places that you can be, and so the fact that you're here with us really is a big deal to us. So thank you for being with us. If you're new to Refuge, uh, expository preaching is a, a big deal for us. So when you saw these uh, words on the screen, I'm sure you're like, whoo, this ought to be a juicy one today. Uh, so it will be. Uh, it, it certainly will be. Uh, but we, we, we believe in expository preaching, verse by verse, through the text, so that we don't get to skip over the hard parts. We don't get to skip over the difficult things. We have to deal with things uh, like today's text. And so uh, you've heard it preached. Uh, you've heard the, the text declared, and so we will jump into uh, our text today. Uh, pay no attention to the cookie jar. Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, so as we get into chapter 5 today, Paul is giving us some more practical instructions around uh, of what it is that he is, uh, what he is calling the Ephesians to do, how he's calling the Ephesians to live, uh, how he's uh, giving some instruction to the church. And he continues the word, uh, continues to use the word that we must pause and go back and see what's up. And what's that word in 5.1? Therefore, yeah. And so we need to say, what's the therefore, therefore? And so we go back, I would say, to verse 32, and we'll see if that's going to come on. It doesn't like it is. And so we'll just trust my tech team to put that up there. So if you'll look at verse 32 uh, in, on your uh, device or on your screen, uh, we'll uh, just kind of go from there. We won't have, like we're going to have these today. Or we might, we'll see. Verse 32 says this, uh, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the end of chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So why do we, why are we called to be kind and tender-hearted toward one another? Why? Why? Come on, it just says it. Because Christ and God has forgiven us, right? Because we are forgiven people. And, and that, it's really 
not a question, but a declarative statement to say, Christ in God has, or God in Christ has forgiven you of your sins. And so before we go any further, uh, for this letter to be applicable to you, for what Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and for it to be applicable to your life today, uh, you must examine yourself and answer that very question, it has God in Christ forgiven you of your sins? Has God in Christ forgiven you of your sins? Now, here's what he did not ask in the question. He didn't ask, do you know Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? That's not what he's asking. He's not asking, do you know what Jesus did? Do you know facts about Jesus? That's not what he's asking. He's not asking even, do you know that Jesus resurrected from the dead? He's not asking if you just know some facts about Jesus. You know who else knows facts about Jesus? Satan, yeah, Satan knows a lot of facts about Jesus. There's a lot of people that know a lot of facts about Jesus who are outside the household of faith. The entire Bible, nor Paul, nor this preacher is asking you if you know facts about Jesus. What I am asking you is this, has God in Christ forgiven you of your sins? Has God in Christ forgiven you of your sins? What do you mean by that, preacher? I mean, have you come to a realization in your life somewhere along the way that you have no opportunity for eternal life outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This preacher is talking about, are you trusting in your own goodness? Are you trusting in your own righteousness? Are you trusting in your own good works somewhere to tip the scales in your favor? That may be what you're trusting in. Unfortunately, that's some bad theological things that people think about or, or understand. Many times when you ask people, hey, what are you going to tell God? Or you, get, God? you get to heaven and God says, why should I let you in? Hey, you know, I've done more good than bad. Help a brother out, you know. That's not how it works. I mean, if you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and really trusted in him and him alone for your salvation. Where your life is changed, where your life is different, where the spirit of God actually lives within you, where there's something becoming different about you. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about just going through the religious things that we do. Not just showing up for church and all that kind of religious activity. Those, those are good things, but those aren't salvific things. In a nutshell, this is what it means to believe that God in Christ has forgiven you. Repentance and faith. That's what Paul always writes about in the New Testament. Repentance and faith. Repentance means that I've got a sincere regret over the sins that I've committed against the holy God. That I recognize some things in my life are in direct conflict with that. Recognizing that you can't do it on your own. So repentance and faith. Faith means to believe the gospel. To believe with all your heart that there's no righteousness that you have outside the righteousness of Jesus. And what does that mean? That means that we're trusting that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a life just like you and me, tempted in every way, yet he did it without sin. 
that he died on a cross for our sins, that he shed his blood to cover our sin debt. The scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The Bible also says that the blood of bulls and goats does not take away sins. So all those sacrifices we read about in the Old Testament, where that people made sacrifices of goats and bulls, those didn't take away the sins of the world. They were pointing to the Lamb of God who was to come. Only the precious blood of Jesus covers our sin debt. Amen? Yeah, are you trusting in that alone? His righteousness credited to your account. He takes all your sin, you get all his righteousness. This is salvation. This is God in Christ forgiving you of your sins. And my friends, I have to ask you again, have you experienced this great salvation in your life? Are you different? Are you changed? Does the Spirit of God agree with your spirit that you are one of His? If not, why not today? If not, why not now? We're going to do something just a little bit different. We like to shake it up around here every now and then. Right now, we're going to take just a few minutes, and I'm going to ask every one of you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray for anyone who is here in this room who is outside the household of faith. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to pray. And pray, if you're a Christian, you pray for those around you. If you're a Christian, you pray for those that God, that the Holy Spirit might be awakening someone literally right now to the gospel and helping them realize that they need to know Jesus today. So we're going to do that. We're going to take just a couple minutes. You, let's do it. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and you pray fervently, church, for those who are here today. Listen, if you're here and you need to know Jesus right now, right now you recognize the Spirit of God is talking to you in your heart. You're recognizing that and you're stirring you in your spirit. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up out of your seat. I want you to walk back into the sound, in front of the sound booth and talk to one of our pastors right now. Nobody's watching you right now. Everybody's heads are bowed. They're praying. This church is praying for you right now. I want you to get up right now where you are and go, I need to follow Jesus today. I need to give my life to Jesus today. I need to finally surrender my life to Jesus today. This can be your day of salvation. This can be your time, salvation.
All right, church, thank you for praying. Thank you for, thank you for barraging the throne room of grace to intercede for one another. Thank you. You continue to pray. You continue to be in that spirit of prayer today because we're trusting the Holy Spirit. It's stirring and moving in our hearts today. Let's keep going. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Paul goes on to say, after this, therefore, if all this is true, then he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so, so Paul writes, because God in Christ has forgiven us of our sins, then we should imitate him. We should be as his beloved children. Hey, isn't it cool whenever your kids do something like you? I mean, I mean, most of the time, uh, I mean, most of the time it's kind of cool to see your kids will do something. You go, oh, that's just, you know, that reminds me of me or that reminds me of my wife or that reminds me of, you know, Granny Sue or whatever. Uh, uh, that, uh, that, that's so cute. That reminds me of that. It's either cool or scary at some point, you know. Um, uh, and, you know, the older they get, the more they look like us, the more they act like us. Uh, Paul says this. He says, if we're God's children, if we belong to him, then we should look more like God. Right? That makes sense, right? If we belong to him, then we should look like him. That's what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So how do we imitate God? How do we, as followers of his, how do we, as children of God, imitate God? What this means, I would say, is to follow the examples and the directives that God gives us. Jesus wrapped it up succinctly in Matthew chapter 22, here's what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, the two, all, all, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So it just really boils down to this, that we're called to love God. We're called to love people. That's what it looks like. To look like Jesus, love God and love people. If you know anything about them, you know Jesus loves the Father with all his heart and, and, and he tells us to love each other as much as you love yourself. Be full of love. To God, why do we love God? Why do we love God? Come on, Christians. Yeah, because he first loved us. He's rescued us from our sin. He's given us hope, right? He's given us eternal life. Like, this is not all there is. And we love others. Why do we love others? <laughs> rubble, rubble, rubble. This, this is like a, a, a congregation full of hamburglers. You know, rubble, rubble, rubble. <laughs> that's what it sounds like up here. Or at least that's what it is in my head anyway. Uh, we love others because he first loved us, right? We love others. He loved us. And in turn, we're called to love others and so that they might know Jesus and the power of the resurrection. That's why he wants us to love people. That's why he doesn't want us to be jerks to people. Okay? He doesn't want us to be jerks to people because if we have the love of God that lives within our heart and we are representatives of Jesus Christ on this earth, then what kind of representatives are we if we're like the, the biggest jerk on the block? If you're the one in your HOA that's always causing and stirring up trouble, if there's always this storm around you that's flying around you, then you're probably not representing Jesus very well. I'm not saying that HOAs aren't ridiculous. I'm just saying, I'm just saying you don't have to be a jerk about it, okay, Christians? Look, let's, let's keep going. It, it kind of ties this together. And he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
So he says that whenever we love people, that no matter where we go, no matter uh, how, we, how we go or where we go, we're called to walk in love because Christ sacrificially gave himself for us. Remember what Jesus said? He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay my life down willingly for the brethren. And that sacrifice becomes a fragrant or a pleasing sacrifice to God. Whenever we live that way, our lives become a pleasing sacrifice to God. That, I will, that if we live, if Paul says, if we live this way, our lives become a pleasing aroma in the nostrils of God. Think about that. Are you a pleasing aroma to God? What are pleasing aromas to you? Think about when you smell things, how it makes you feel. The things that smell good. What's, what are some of those? Coffee, what else? What? Bacon, oh yeah. That's enough, that tops the list. Nobody can do any better. Just stop your, whatever you're thinking of, it can never top bacon. Okay? So whenever we smell, think about how they, those things make us feel and how pleasing they are to us. That, that's pretty incredible to think in those terms. But here's, here's what Paul's saying. He's like, when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, whenever we live the lives that are empowered, the Spirit lives within us, and we live a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, power given by God, sacrificially loving and caring for others, that becomes a pleasing aroma to God. So think about that. That's kind of cool. That the, it is God, the Holy Spirit, that gives us the power to live that way to become a pleasing aroma back to God. You see how that works? That he's giving us the ability to do it, and it pleases him whenever we live this way. Pow! I mean, that's crazy. That's how Paul says we should live. And then in his writing, which is kind of interesting, yeah, here's a side note, sidebar for you. Many people think that uh, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 should actually belong in chapter 4 uh, because it kind of wraps up chapter 4 a little bit. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but, you know, teach his own. Uh, but then he changes direction here in uh, verse 3, and look what he says. Uh, he says, um, uh, live the way that I'm writing to you. Because these things are true, I want you to start living this way. Verse 3 says, but sexual immorality, so he's like, hey, live a life pleasing to God. Uh, live a, be an aroma, let your life be an aroma to God. And he's like, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And so one writer likened this kind of temptation to a cookie jar. Oh, well, look, a cookie jar. Now, if I were to set this out in your home, or in your office, or we'll just say on the stage for any amount of time, what is your likelihood that you would probably come by and grab a cookie out of it? Very likely, Very likely yes. Very likely. So just as an FYI, there are um, double stuffed Oreos in here. There are chocolate chip cookies in here. And there are nutter, butter, nutter butters in here. So we're going to take a poll on which is the favorite. So let's start with uh, uh, double stuffed Oreos. Who says double stuffed Oreos are the best in the jar? Okay. I see those hands. Uh, let's say, what about chocolate chip cookies? Raise your hands. I see you traditionalists out there. 
And who would say Nutter Butters would be? Yep, I see the enthusiasts there with Nutter Butters. Okay, so it's kind of a good split over which ones. I've evenly distributed those in here just as an FYI. There was, uh, there was a mother this one time uh, with her little boy, and she, she tried this with her little boy, and she told him not to cook. She set out the cookies, and she said, do not touch the cookies until after dinner. And so she goes, and she's making dinner. It wasn't too long until she heard the lid open up and wrestle off the thing, and uh, she said, son, what are you doing? To which his little voice replied, uh, my hand is in the cookie jar resisting temptation. <laughs> so, so the fact really is that none of us can resist, I mean, once, our, once the lid comes off and the hand is in the cookie jar, it's hard to resist temptation, right? Am I right? You know what I'm talking about. Hard, hard to do. We usually keep this empty for the most part at our house because if we fill it up like this, I can promise you by the end of the week, what? She gone. Yeah, they're gone. They're all gone. So what does this have to do with verse 3? Well, I would say everything with verse 3. What Paul says, what he's saying is that, uh, that, G, what, that Jesus has given his life for us and our calling is to imitate Jesus, then that we should imitate him and we should... Uh, uh, we, we get his righteousness credited to our account, and therefore we get to be imitators of who he is. And, and so the things that he lists in, in this verse, none of these things would be said of Jesus, right? I mean, none of these things would be uh, descriptive words that you would see to, uh, to describe Jesus. So I would say don't let them be said about us as well. Paul said this, Straight on. He listed three things that should not even be named among followers of Jesus. Three things that we should not try to have our hand in the cookie jar around, but instead we should resist. One, they are sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Now, this reminds me of uh, a Sesame Street song. One of these things does not belong here. Come on. Can you tell which one? Can you guess which thing does not belong here? Before my song is done. And now my song is done. Y'all remember that song? Sorry, again, welcome to my world. Uh, so if you read this, you're like sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. Those things don't seem to go together. Like covetousness seems to be out of place in this kind of list of sins. These seem to be like, you know, sexual types of sin. But, but what it really means in the original languages would be greed for someone else's body. Okay? So, and that certainly makes it makes more sense. So let's read it that way. I, I've redone the verse and, and put it this way. But sexual immorality and all impurity or greed for someone else's body must not be even named among you uh, as is proper among the saints. That makes more sense, right? When you read it that particular way. Paul says that there's to be none of this. Literally, it's not even to be named or discussed among believers. Now, truthfully, those of us who follow Jesus should put a guard over our mouths when it comes to discussion or rehashing the sins or the immoralities of others. I'll say that again. All of us should put a guard over our mouth, set a guard over the, watch, over the door of my lips, whenever it comes to discussing the sins and immorality of others. Now, yes, Paul says that Christians should call sin by its names. 
no matter what the sin is. Yet he also said extended conversations about such sins become dangerous to our spiritual health. Going on and going on and talking more and just running this thing into the ground and talking to more people become dangerous to our spiritual health. Too much discussion around subjects like this often have, often have a tendency to make us numb to the subject. They make us numb to how severe the sin actually is. It lessens our, our senses and, uh, and its devastating effects that can have on people whenever we just continually blab on about these things. There was an old English poet that gave this same warning. This is what he said. Vice is a monster of such, frightful when seen, that to be hated needs but to be seen. You see what he's saying? Vice, let's just use one of these, whether it's the, one of these sexual sins, is a monster, and whenever we first see it, it's frightful. And that we can hate it just when we see it. We can go, oh, that's wrong. I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. See what he said in the beginning? But then he says this. But seen too often... Familiar with his face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. If we keep going back and keep talking about it and keep rehashing it, our senses become dull to these sins. And we keep talking about them and embracing them and getting a little bit closer to them and talking about them a little bit more and talking about them just a little bit more, then we become dull to the severity of what those things are that we're actually even talking about. One commentator said this, uh, Paul was warning, the, obviously, the, uh, the Ephesians and, and their sexual culture uh, warns us to kind of be, uh, to, ref, to, to withdraw ourselves from this type of sinful behavior. He says, uh, he, he says, he now warns us in our refrain from the, de, from the delectable temptation to dine together on the juicy morsels of sensual gossip that comes our way. We have a tendency to do that. We hear some story, ooh, tell me more. Ooh, what did they do? You think they did this? Ooh, here my plate's empty. Tell me some more. Let's talk about this some more. That's what, that's what we're doing. Ooh, that's sensual. Tell me about it. And you know what happens from that? The story gets bigger and changed and more and different, and by the time it gets more and more talked about, it's not even what the story was about. I'll be honest with you. It's been convicting to me. Uh, many times during my lunchtime, I like to go home and fix a turkey sandwich on keto bread with keto chips for my, for my man at. Uh, that's, my, that's my lunch. That's my Todd Jerry lunch. And, uh, and I sit in front of the TV, and I usually turn it on Jerry Springer or Mari. <laughs> it's confession time. I usually turn it on Jerry Springer or Mari, it's mindless and silly, and it, you know, I don't have to think about anything, and I, I honestly, it's, it's more than likely staged than anything. But I'll be honest with you, this week, as I've read and studied, uh, I believe this falls in the same category. I believe it falls in the same category. Not should not even be named among Christians. So away it goes. So I've said it to you now. You can ask me about it later. And you should ask me if I'm watching Mari Povich. <laughs> Let me hit on sexual immorality and impurity. And what Paul is saying, he says, 
Don't get embroiled in these kinds of sins. It shouldn't even be named among the saints. Uh, But here's a note. Uh, In the sexually charged nature of the Ephesian culture, and again for our culture today, if you found yourself having fallen into some of these sexual sins, having dipped your hand over into the cookie jar, and maybe find it there longer than it should be, then Paul says, just stop. He says, those things shouldn't be named among you. Let this not continue to be named among you. Do not let this continue in your life. Do not keep going back for more. If you found yourself in the cookie jar and you found like, oh man, I shouldn't have been there before, but you keep going back, stop going back. It should not even be named among what is proper with the saints. And I'll say this, if you need help with that, please ask for it. Now, I know people get squirrely about that in church. Here's what happens in church. Uh, I'm, somebody is embroiled in some type of sin. And nobody wants the preacher to know about it, right? Because he's the preacher, you know. What happened? And maybe you've had a bad experience in the church before where the church has ostracized you over something or they've shunned you or given you the cold shoulder or you've been blackballed or whatever the situation might be. Here's the thing we're not going to do at this church. That's not going to happen. Here's what we're going to do at this church. If you found yourself in some sin, we're going to tell you, one, to just, one, stop. We're also going to come alongside you and put our arm around you and go, Let's walk through this together. Let's walk through this recovery together. Let's figure out how we overcome this thing together. You need, you need Pastor Scott to call you from time to time and check on you? I'll call you. I'll text you. You need to call me whenever you, got, whenever you uh, go into the pantry to look for the cookie jar? Call me. Call another brother. Call somebody in your gospel community group. We will sternly encourage you to stop that sin. We will also encourage you to flee from that sin. And we'll help you fight that temptation. And maybe it's a reconciliation in your marriage or with your family or whatever it is. But do not, say do not. Do not continue in that sin. Let us help you, okay? Let's keep going. Paul continues in verse 4. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now he turns to the language of Christians. First, he talks about filthiness. So, he's talking about oral filth or dirty language. Most Christians would agree that this is not becoming of a Christian. Would you agree with that? We won't take a vote, but uh, just not in agreement with your pastor right now, okay? Uh, that, that that is unbecoming of a Christian. Listen to me again. It's time to put that away. Okay? It's time to put that away. You know what your favorite cuss word is? You know what it is. It's time to put that away. Time to put that away. You're like, preacher, I say it so much, and I don't know if I can put it away. Ask for help. Ask your spouse, hey, remind you, whenever it's just kind of become part, remember that? You've become desensitized. That's what happened. Just what we were talking about. We become desensitized to the language that we use and remi- helps ask somebody to help remind you. Hey, there's that word again. You said you were going to stop saying that. Let's, let's just remind one another of that. Put that away. 
Your discussions about other people. There's a word for that. It begins with G, ends in Ossip. You know that one? Put that out of your mouth. Time to stop that. Your reactions to Memphis drivers? I think there's grace for that. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a little bit over the top. Your juicy talk about people of the other sex, dudes, when you get together, you talk about other women. Women, I don't know what y'all talk about, but uh, uh, when you talk about other women, put that away. It doesn't belong in your mouth. Put it away. Let there be no more is what Paul was saying. He said, don't let there be any filthiness in your mouth. Next he talks about foolish talk or crude joking. Paul's word for foolish talk is morologia, which means moronic talk. Moronic talk. Like whenever some of the things that we say, we're acting like morons. It's not the word of the day, but it should have been. Proverbs 15.2 says this, The tone of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. Empty, wasteful, idiotic talk is unbecoming to a follower of Jesus. And Paul connects this with crude joking. He's like, that shouldn't be part of our vernacular. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, though, okay? Uh, I'm not advocating for us to be so serious and for us to be people with frowns and for us to be sad faced all the time by no means christians should be what the most joyful people that we know right we've got the most to celebrate of anybody else out there we have eternal life found in christ jesus through, no, through nothing we've done on our own a gift a free gift of god and so we should be the most joyful people that there are out there proverbs 17 22 says this that a joyful heart is good medicine. The preacher in Ecclesiastes says there is a time to laugh, and so we should be joyful, people who laugh and people who uh, enjoy life together. Now, <coughs> you may go, well, preacher, some of those crude jokes are pretty funny. I, I will admit they are, some of them are pretty funny that I've been told that I've never told, but, uh, uh, but they, are, they are pretty funny. But Paul says, listen, Paul says that kind of joke is poison to our soul. Poison to our soul. Historians tell us that the Ephesians were masters at using vulgarity and then laughing it off. Ephesians was kind of a rough culture. The church where the church at Ephesus was in that area, uh, it, it was a vulgar thing. And so they could talk about these things and then laugh it off. And honestly, it would have been very easy. I think Paul probably addressed this to the church at Ephesus because it had probably sneaked into the church. And that kind of hits close to home. Sometimes it can sneak in this church. And Paul forbids this arsenic to the soul because it's a killer. Why is this the case? Well, again, first, when we engage in this kind of joking, it's just easy to slip further and further down the rabbit hole. 
just easy to go further and a little bit further. One off-color jokes gets a few laughs, you know, yuck it up. No, that's, that's pretty funny. And then, and then what happens to the next joke in that group? It becomes a little more crude, right? And then we, people get a few more laughs. And then, and then the next joke becomes what? A little worse? And, and before you've been there, you're kind of caught up and engaged in the middle of this very thing that God tells us to avoid. Whenever we do that, where's our hand? Back in the cookie jar. Second, the more we see, the more we say, the more we share that is useless or vulgar or off-color, again, the more desensitized we become to these things. The more it becomes part of just our regular thing and we don't even think about it as we go, the more we see it, the more we say it, the more we share it, our hand becomes, we become desensitized to it and our hand ends up back in the cookie jar. Third, one Puritan preacher says this, that men usually discourse as their hearts are, for the tap runneth according to the liquor wherewith the vessel is filled. Get that? Men usually discourse as their hearts are. So he says, we usually talk about the things that are, that are within. And then he says, for the tap runneth, that means what comes out, it runs according to the liquor wherein the, in the vessel is filled. So if you turn the tap on right, whatever, whatever is filling that uh, tap, you know, you, you go fill up your uh, Diet Coke at the, at the machine, you, you click under Diet Coke, what comes out? Diet Coke. You kick under Fanta, what comes out? Kick under Pepsi? Nah, don't do it. Uh, uh, go somewhere else. Uh, but what comes out is what's in there. And he says what we fill ourselves with is usually what comes out. What goes in usually comes out. Jesus would say this. He would say it this way. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, pride, slander, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. He's, Jesus was talking about things that, that, that defile a person. He was talking about things that we eat. That doesn't defile us. There's no dietary restrictions that defile us. That's what Jesus was saying. But it's the things that come out of our heart that defile us. And then lastly, why, why do we avoid this kind of stuff? Because we will give an account for every word we speak. Every word. Good words, bad words, idle words, foolish talk, Cuss words, all that, we'll give an account for the words that we speak. Paul is crystal clear. We are not to read, watch, or talk about the immoral escapades of others. He says, we're not to engage ourselves in that at all. If, is this part of your life? If it is, where's your hand? In the cookie jar. Said Paul says we should do this. We should replace all this with thanksgiving. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead there should be thanksgiving. In other words, he says we're not to joke about sexuality. We're to rejoice in it that God has given it to us. Christians don't have to be silent or repressive on sexuality, but we are to hold it in a high regard and respect. Joking degrades it, but being thankful for it, we can go, hey man, this is a good thing. 
And I'm thankful for my sexuality. I'm thankful for the God that's given us a gift of this, and it's not something for us to be joking about. Was Paul direct, so direct about this? Glad you asked. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, listen, pay close attention to this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, honestly, I don't care which camp you land in, Calvinist, Arminian, unsure, don't care. People whose lust has become an idolatrous obsession will not be part of the kingdom of God. You may say, well, that's one verse, preacher. And you always tell us, don't build your theology around one verse. I'm glad you've been listening. That's fair. So let's see what else the t- Scripture has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul writing to the church of Corinth. All right, that's two. What else you got, preacher? Glad you asked. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, all that's Paul writing. Anybody else got anything to say? Yes, John has something to say about this. John, 1 John chapter 3. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Scripture is clear. Let's reiterate what Paul says in verse 5. No practicing sinner, no unrepentant, sexually immoral person has eternal life. And sir, man, this means you. If you are a practicing sinner, head first in your sin, unrepentant, don't care what's going on, sexually immoral, involved in some type of sexual ongoing, unrepentant, I don't care, I'm headlong into this, I don't care what the scripture says, I don't care what the preacher says, I don't care what my mama says, I'm going to do it anyway, involved in that, you will not have a part of the eternal life. No matter what you said, no matter what you think you've got a golden ticket theology, no matter what prayer you prayed when you were 10, Jesus says there will be many people on the last day that call me Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't even know who you are. Now, do Christians fall into some of these sins? Of course they do. But Christians will not persist in these sins. 
Christians will not keep on sinning and keep on sinning and keep on sinning. Persistent sexual sin is evidence of a graceless life. It's a lack of understanding around the holiness of God. I have a friend who's involved in a homosexual relationship. And he asks me from time to time, hey, Benj, do you think I'm going to hell? Good friend, long-time friend. My response to him and my admonition for you today is, it depends on what's your highest value. It depends on what's your highest value. Engaging in your sin where your lifestyle and your choices and your decisions trump everything else? Or are you setting Jesus as your king? Those become the determining factors. Have I repented of my sins and put my faith in Jesus and I'm willing to forsake other things because he tells me to, because he calls me to and says it's unbecoming of a Christian to live this way and I'm going to follow Jesus even though I may be involved in, I may be a, have attract, same-sex attraction or whatever that thing, that sin is, I'm going to put that away because I'd rather follow Jesus and have eternal life or I am going to just engage myself in this anyway because it makes me feel good. I'm going to call myself a Christian, but I'm going to go over here. My brother, you're in trouble. Why do you say that, preacher? I'll say this because if that's you, you're an idolater. You have put sexual sin and your sensual desire as the central place in your life, and that's the only place that's reserved for God. You are risking your eternal soul on fleeting things. Your hand is deep in the cookie jar. Paul finally writes this in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things that he just talked about, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What are empty words? <coughs> Today, it sounds something like this. You know, God is too good to condemn to hell those who just don't measure up. That's empty words. Foolish talk. Love will prevail. Who are you to judge me? Everyone eventually goes to heaven. That's foolish talk. Here's what I, here's what I said. Pithy sayings like these sound good. They make us feel good, right? When we say those things, they just make us feel good. It makes us feel, well, well that's nice and warm and, and inviting, and, and they sound inclusive. It sounds like you have a caring and an empathetic heart. Yet, listen, it doesn't matter how caring and empathetic heart you may have, God will not turn aside his wrath toward unrepentant sinners. Scripture says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus says, there is no other name given under heaven and earth whereby you must be saved. We must put our faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus has to become our king. Don't be deceived by the empty words and platitudes of people who are in a, in a church pulpit, 
of people who are your friends or people who just like to keep the peace somewhere, those can be lies from the pit of hell. Paul warns the church in verse 7. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. He says, don't be fooled, church. Don't walk in their ways. Don't fall back into your old ways as he would have warned the church then. Don't join them in your sin. Listen, you don't want to end up with your hand always over here in the cookie jar. So it's imperative for, one, for, uh, for each of us as followers of Jesus to engage with one another and rebuke one another should those times come. You find my hand in the cookie jar, you know what you should say? Pow, get your hand out the cookie jar, son. That's the loving thing to do to me. It's the loving thing for me to do to you. So how do we live? In light of all this, how do we live? I would say we go back to the beginning of today's text. And it says, the text says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Flee from the cookie jar. Look, you know where the cookie jar ought to go? Way back here. We ought not to set it on the countertop. We ought not to have it so accessible. We ought not to live so close to our sin. These things are fleeting. Cookies are fleeting. Fats forever. <laughs> sin is fleeting. Seriously. Sin is fleeting. Eternity's forever. And so for those of you who are listening who may go, man, I, I'm all up in this. I'm like right in the middle of all this stuff that Pastor Scott is talking about. I don't want, I don't want to admit it, but I'm, I'm right up in the middle of this and I don't know what to do. I'll go back to Paul's writing from 1 Corinthians. He says this. He says, such were some of you. So he's talking to Christians. Some of you were just like this. You, you engaged yourself in all of these, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and, uh, and by the Spirit of our God. And this is your hope, church. This is how every Christian becomes a Christian, and it's how you can become a Christian today. You need to be washed and cleansed and justified today through the precious blood of Jesus. How do you do that? You repent of your sins. You go, I recognize now. Hey, the Spirit of God may be speaking to you and go, you are engaged in all kind of sin and it is, it is contrary to what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're just recognizing that today. You go, I need to repent of my sins. I want to turn away from those and I want to follow Jesus today. I want to repent and believe the gospel. I want to believe that Jesus is my only hope, that Jesus has taken all my sin to the cross. He has nailed it to the cross. His blood covered my sin debt. And I want to put my faith and trust in his righteousness and not my own, that I need help living this life and I can't do it by myself. I want to follow Jesus today. And that is what it looks like to believe the gospel. 
Today, I encourage you to taste and see, not that sin is good, but taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray.